Oh, that worship was great, wasn't it? Thank you, Lord. Let's have a quick prayer. How many people in here have been dealing with depression lately? Raise your hand. One, two, there's one person. That y'all get the walls down. Yeah, come on. Let's be real here. You know, the atmosphere in America is kind of depressing. There's so much spiritual warfare and stuff going on, but God wants to lift that off in you right now. So, won't you, if, you, if you've been suffering with it, if you have family that are suffering with it, put your hand right here behind your neck. That's where your emotions are in the natural, back there at the base of your uh, brain stem. That's where the emotional part of your brain is. So, God wants to touch that. Uh, you're touching it naturally. God wants to touch you spiritually. Some of you are just empty emotionally. You've, you've used up a lot of your emotional, your gas tank's low, your emotional gas tank. God wants to refill it uh, supernaturally this morning. So, Father, we thank you today that you are concerned about our whole body. You're concerned about us physically. You're, you're concerned about us spiritually. And you're concerned about the realm of our emotions and so I just pray for everybody. I pray, break that spirit of uh, depression that's trying to attach itself to people. Lord, I just cur- curse it. It has no right over your children, Lord. We just declare that I'm a child of God. Say that, I'm a child of God. Spirit of depression, you have no right over my life. No right. So I command you to leave me. I command you to go away from me. I cast you away from me in Jesus' name. And Lord, I just ask you now to fill my emotions with the emotions of Jesus. Let the motions of Christ flow into you this morning. Mm-hmm. He's got some good, yes, joy, it's peace, it's all that good stuff. Amen. Thank you, Lord. You're good, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Remember, uh, you know, the story where it says, speak to your mountain, it's your voice that the enemy listens to better than somebody else's voice. So always use your voice. It's good to get other people to pray and declare things there, but you need to use your own voice. Okay. You hear what I'm saying? Don't just wait. Let somebody else speak stuff over you. You speak to your mountains because they're going to listen to you better than they're going to listen to me or anybody else for that matter. Amen? Amen. Other people are just kind of reinforcements. All right. We do have a guest speaker this morning. Uh, his name is John Jenkins. This is his wife, Helen. Won't y'all stand up? She's really nice. <laughs> She's a nice person. Somehow he married her. Somehow she let him marry her. I don't know. But they've been married 47 years. Isn't that amazing? Let's give them a big hand for being married 47 years. Also, they have three, three children. Two of their sons are pastors in uh, like North Charlotte, Concord area. They're really successful pastors. Uh, one of them is in Indiana. And he's a business guy. Very involved in the kingdom. So they're, they're great people. And I've known John... For a long time, and heard all his jokes. So I'm I'm tired of his jokes, you know. <laughs> but John is really an awesome guy. He was a pastor for 25 years, right, John, in Tampa, Florida, and then he's been traveling forever and a day, all over the United States, all the time. And so we were really happy to get him, and I really love him. He's given me a lot of good prophetic words over the years that are always accurate. So you know, may the Lord might give you a word through him. Amen. Amen. So if we can get that podium, he wants to be down here. Yeah, can you do that? You can do it. I want to be like Jesus. He came down to their level. Usually when I have people hug me, if I'm sitting down, I'll say, can you come down to my level? They love it because they think they're above my level. And uh, 
Sweet Helen is what I call her, and uh, we met in Bible college in uh, 1967. And uh, see, in the old days, you, you, you dated, and then you went steady if she would, and then you got engaged, and then you got married. Right now, in this day, they skip uh, points two and three and, and just date and get married, it seems, but... Uh, we loved each other. We were in a Christian Bible college, so they didn't let us do a lot of hand-holding and stuff, you know, around the teachers and in public. But <clears throat> she worked uh, days and went to night school, and I worked nights and went to day school. And uh, so, man, how frustrating it is when you love somebody and you only get to see them on the weekend. And uh, I remember when I first asked her if she'd go steady with me, she said, why don't you go to your room and read First uh, Corinthians 12, verse 1? <laughs> And so I did, and it says, I would not have you ignorant, brethren. (laughs) I didn't finish the rest of the scripture. I don't even know what Paul's talking about there. I just knew I felt rejected. (laughs) So uh, finally, uh, we would write each other letters every day. We had our own little mailbox, you know, the student mailboxes. And uh, I came out of a kind of an insecure situation, not because my dad was a pastor, but because of my response to life. And uh, so... I basically am a romantist when it comes to writing letters and stuff. I wrote her mushy letters all the time. Yeah, but she came out of a very secure environment, and her parents are godly people and just love the Lord, and uh, she she just doesn't have that outward emotional need that I did. Usually I'm romantic because I need to be, not because she needed it. But she'd write me letters like, Dear John, and and immediately I went into rejection. I thought, oh no, she's turning me away again. She'd write, Dear John, had a good day. Hope your day was good. I love you. See you later. Me, I wrote her letter. This is a true story. So you need to pray for sweet Helen because she's married to me. Byron hit it right on the mark. I started out the letter. I was late, and and I had to rush to work, and I thought, oh, no, I forgot Sweet Helen's letter. So I actually prayed, sis. I prayed and said, God, give me words. Give me something special. And uh, I felt like he did. So I ran out into the front of the Bible college. We had a field out there, and they had these flowers, yellow flowers with the black centers. I don't know if they were daisies or what, black-eyed Susans, or I don't know what they called them. Yeah, but I went out there, picked one of those, put it in an envelope, and I scribbled these words. Dear sweet Helen, one day this flower will wilt and die, but you will smell forever. (laughs) Honest to God, we still have that letter and the flower. I I wonder why she wouldn't talk to me when, when Friday came. I thought it was great, and it was a true uh, beginning of the prophetic ministry because that flower is dead as heck, and she smells lovely. (laughs) So pray for sweet Helen, (laughs) and she is such an awesome, awesome wife. You know, when we were praising, I love the praise and worship in here, not just the talent and the music. To me, that's not really the praise and worship. The praise and worship is the spirit of it. I loved it that the congregation, the people, the family was right in there with them. We, we didn't cause them to perform, but we were in the heavens with them. That's what real worship's about. The Bible says this in one place, and this isn't on the PowerPoint thing at all, but... Uh, Revelation 19.10, John is in the Spirit, and while he's there worshiping the Lord, an angel of the Lord appears, and he starts worshiping the angel. And the angel said, whoa, 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 see that you don't do that. See, I love angels. I believe in them. I believe I have some, but I'll never worship one. 
but he says, see that you don't believe that because I'm just like you. But he says, do this, worship Jesus, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now watch here, the more you give praise and glory like you did today of who Jesus is, not what he needs to do, but of who he is, the more you give testimony of who he is, the more the Holy Spirit sets an environment for the prophetic, for the supernatural, for the divine, miraculous power of God to move in your midst. The day will come in this house where as you're worshiping the Lord, people will be getting saved and healed and delivered and set free without anybody blowing on them or or sprinkling water on them or pushing them, but they're going to get set free because the testimony of Jesus creates an environment for the supernatural. You can do this at your house instead of moaning and groaning and complaining and worrying and fretting over what the doctor said or what the the, uh, financial bills are saying. If you'd learn how to praise Jesus in the midst of that and give testimony of who he is and not what he does, but who he is, you'd be amazed at how Jesus would create an environment of the supernatural in your home. And even your rebellious teenagers will start getting saved and delivered without you pushing on them. God, let this church be one of the prime examples in the whole region of North Carolina of the environment of Jesus. We always ask Him to come down. Jesus said this, you're always asking me for the kingdom of God to come. Do you not understand? And this is what's going to happen in this ministry. This is the season where the revelation of what that verse means is going to become a reality in this church. He says, for the kingdom of God isn't in Brownsville. It isn't in Toronto. It isn't in Lakeland, Florida. Those are places where you've seen evidence of it. But the kingdom of God is not a place you go to. It is in you. And the more you begin to release, as the lady said a while ago, let's let the Holy Spirit off of house arrest. You have him on house arrest, and you need to let him go because he's wanting to minister not only for you and in you, but through you. We don't have time to get all the faith healers and prophetesses and prophets to come to this church and do some supernatural fling for us. It's time that we realize that we, the sons and daughters of the Most High God, have been called of God to be filled with the same Spirit that Jesus had in this earth. And greater works shall we do, not because we go to seminary or theological schools, but because Jesus Christ is in us and His power wants to flow through us. The season has come for this ministry where God is going to start. Listen to me. God never overlooks you. He's going to start doing in you and through you or in you and for you what the world needs him to do through you. See, God will never want to do miracles for people over there without doing them for you. He doesn't skip over his own children. When he says in 3 John 2, above all else, above all else, and John is writing in behalf of the Spirit of God, so it's God. Above all else, I would that you would prosper, that you would be in good health, even as your soul prospers. And that includes every realm, not just financial. It includes mental, emotional, family stuff, relationships, that you would prosper. And, and what that verse tells me, brother, is this. God is much more concerned about how I am than what I do. He loves it that you're working for him. But even when you get done with life and you throw all your stuff at his feet and you call them crowns, God's going to say, that wasn't what I was concerned about. My concern is, how are you while you're doing for me? Are you healed? Are you filled? Are you delivered? Are you free? God loves you today. You mean more to God than anything else. Help us to know. 
How many of you this Christmas season either watched or tried not to watch that movie, It's a Wonderful Life? <laughs> Man, my poor boys, even as old as they are, and they're all three in ministry, they, they hate that movie now. We, we watched it every year, three times a year. But look at the last scene. Well, one of the last scenes, Jimmy or, or George Bailey. He had been over the bridge at the first of this thing. And he says, God, my life's not worth anything. Watch the selfishness. I didn't get to go to those countries. I didn't get to do the stuff I wanted. I always doing something for somebody else. And the enemy deceived him. And he said, I wish I hadn't lived. Of course, Clarence, I hope to God my angel is more masculine than Clarence. <laughs> if my angel comes wearing a little white raggedy rag, I'm sending him back to heaven. <laughs> But Clarence, God used little Clarence to make it happen. Every person that George Bailey knew in his life all the way from the start, because he wasn't there, their lives were messed up and ruined. I hear God saying to some people in here, you love him with all your heart, but you've never really realized how valuable and how important your life is to people. And we get to where we live so selfish. And if God doesn't do something for us, we go into pity parties and the people around us that need us to stay up with God lack and they don't get ministered to because we're in a pity party. At the end of the movie, George realizes, oh my God. And here's what he says, brother. I want to live again, God. I want to live again. And my prayer today before we came here was that even those of you who are on staff and in leadership circles here and the rest of you would start crying to God. I want to live again. Some of you have fallen into existence. Some of you have fallen into this que sera, sera. Some of you have fallen into this, I'm going to survive no matter what. I'm going to be tough and survive this out. God didn't ask you to be tough. He just wants you to live again. God wants to heal some of us in here from being livid, angry, frustrated at someone or something or even at God because He didn't come in time to meet our need and whatever we were praying about, we lost. And God's wanting to come here today and heal people from being livid and fill them with living. Cry out in your heart today, not for stuff that he needs to do, but God, I want to be so alive in you. I want to say this carefully because it's not my privilege to correct people from the pulpit we're visiting. But I want to say this. Parents and grandparents in here and teenagers, we need to ask God to fill us with so much life that we'll quit contradicting his life by some of the programs we're watching on TV. I'm not against TV. But I can't believe how many Christians, and, and, and if you do this, don't raise your hand, how many Christians will not miss one session of The Walking Dead. We, walk show, we watch shows on TV, sitcoms that are so anti-Christ and so against family morals. Yeah. And we call it entertainment. Yeah. And there's verses in the Bible that indicate that one of the ways the devil will deceive God's people in the last days is cause them to flirt with evil. And God, help us to be filled with so much life of Jesus that we understand the difference between what is really life and what would uh, result in some kind of death. 
Parents, you don't owe your teenagers to be cool with them. You don't owe them to, to, to make them so happy and, and then let them get, get into these electronic games that are filled with demons and all cult spirits. And you call it entertainment. Folks, you've got to understand, God doesn't, God's not looking for happy teenagers. He's looking for holy teenagers. And we need to understand this. That when you're in love with God... You begin to hate anything that's not of love or not of God. Not people. You don't hate people. You hate whatever it is that controls people. God, help us to be a people that want to live again. You know, turn to Hebrews chapter 10, if you will, for a moment. Hebrews chapter 10. Some of you will be on the old kind of Bible I have with pages that you can wrinkle, and some of you are on the electronic Bibles. And you know what? They both work. Because the real truth is the spirit of God's word, not the, what it's written on, isn't it? When I was a kid, though, i got to tell you, when I was a kid, they used to preach that it's a sin to read palms. <laughs> but it ain't anymore. <laughs> Even pastors do that. <laughs> Remember the palm readers we used to have? <laughs> Hallelujah, God. Thank you that you relaxed on that one. <laughs> Some people think God changes, you know. <laughs> he, he doesn't really, but he's never been the stinker you thought he was. That's the thing. Hebrews 10, 9, speaking of Jesus, Behold, I've come to do your will, O God. I wonder how many of us are really there yet. See, most of the modern Christians in America are wanting God to do his will for them. God, we have a right. We confess this. We believe this. And there is truth to that. But I wonder how many Christians are left that say, God, it isn't even about how convenient I am. It isn't about how comfortable I am, but my God, I want to do your will. When it says this of Jesus, I want to do your will, O God, watch this. It says, so he took away the first that he may establish the second. I think that's the main word God's given to us today. You're trying to mix your first life that had sin and darkness and oppression and depression and confusion and rejection and all that stuff. If you're not careful, you'll try to mix your first life with your second life, and they do not mix. When Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross, that's where he was doing God's will. It was, it was absolutely horrid. It was, it was terrible what he was going through. His flesh had been ripped off his body. He had been rejected, uh, molested, abused, spit on, and all this stuff. And then on top of that, taking your sin, taking your oppression, taking all of our junk at one time into his being. And so it wasn't some easy thing to take away the first and establish the second. He had to get rid of all hellishness, not just sins, plural, but even the power of sin. In, corporately he took it away so that we could have the second and so we need to love Jesus so much that he took away that first junk that spirit of, of sin and death that law of life of, of death and he gave us the second grace redemption liberty peace joy fruit of the spirit Jesus, you went through so much. It wasn't some easy step. You went through hell, really, to, in order for me not to have to live with the first life in my second life. God said to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 11, He says, you've got to know something now that you're out of Egypt. You've got to quit watering your gardens and breaking your back with your little water uh, pails and, and breaking your back to try to survive. That was your Egypt life. Now that you're on my side of this life, I'll water your gardens. I'll take care of you. I'll send the harvest. Yeah. 
And some of you are still trying to make it up to God. It's sad. I know that Christians who feel like they had a terrible life, they live so wrong or somebody wronged them. They try to make it up to God in their now life and it grieves God that you're trying to do something for Him out of a sense of guilt instead of out of your divine privilege of liberty and freedom. People, God never asked you to make it up to Him. I've met pastors and had to deal with pastors that are in the ministry, not because God really called them, but because their guilt pushed them into the ministry. And God, help us never to be a people that operate in any day of our life in the kingdom out of a sense of guilt. Because it's not about my guilt, it's about His worth. Are you worthy, Brother John? I am through Jesus. But it's not even about whether I feel worthy or not. It's about His worthiness. That's why we praise Him, brother. He's worthy. Some of us will come to church on a good week and really praise and get with it, but you have a bad day or you had an argument with your wife or husband or something terrible went wrong, and it's almost like we punish God by not giving Him the same worship because we feel unworthy to worship Him. And God's saying, worship to me isn't based on your worthiness. It's based on my worthiness. And He's made you worthy to praise Him without being a hypocrite, even though there's things in our life that are wrong. It's not being hypocritical to praise God even when something's wrong with you. How many of you know that even when you feel sick in your body, Jesus in you is not sick? That's why sick people can lay hands on other sick people and those people will get healed even if if you don't. See, you got to understand, it's not what condition your condition is in. Some of the older people got that one. It's what position your heart's in. I never let the devil rob me of my position because of my condition. If I have depression, then I'm going to minister in the name of Jesus. Deliverance to people that have depression. Because you know what? Jesus in me is not depressed. See, there's nothing about Jesus that ever will be lacking or failing. So because he's in you, it isn't you being a hypocrite. It's you releasing Jesus above and beyond your own life. Let us do that, God. Quit sulking about something and cheating God and cheating others. God, help us to be a people that want to live again. Look at verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, having boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Watch this. By a new and living way. God, I want something to happen in this church. Why did you send us here? I don't understand at all. But I know that you said to prophesy that this church from this day forward will be experiencing the new and living ways of God. Not recorded ways, not puppeted ways, not uh, practice ways, not assimilation, but the actual true living spirit and power and might of God in their midst. In a new way, God. This is the day for this ministry. Something about your name has life in it, doesn't it? we got to come to a point where we so much want to live again, brother, that Jesus' continuing ministry never has a gap in it. You can't come here expecting the pastors and assistant pastors and bishops and elders and worship leaders to get you right. you got to come here knowing that God Almighty wants to touch your life and set you free. And that God wants you to be so filled with his life that there's no gap, even by Wednesday, there's no gap in you being able to dispense the miraculous of God because you are so filled with the life of Jesus, you have a continuous ministry of Jesus. 
He wants you to have a continuous convicting power of Jesus. He doesn't want us to convict people or condemn people. Jesus is not into any type of condemnation, but he is into conviction. And see, what, what I want is my life. In fact, this has happened to me several times. Walk into a room, never say a word, dress like a world person in a sense of uh, maybe jogging shorts or headbands or whatever. And people immediately will say to me, you're a man of God. I need you to pray for me. That's happened to me three or four times. I just want to be so filled with God's presence, brother, that wherever you go, demons bow their knees. Demons want to flee. You know, it's a shame that demons might say, Jesus we know and Paul we know. But see, they should never have to say, who are you? Demons ought to know who you are, not by association, not by possession, but by intimidation. When you walk into a room, Charles, demons ought to say, you know, we might as well go ahead and get out of here because that man has Jesus in him. It would keep you from arguing with your rebellious renegades that might be in your family. Jesus wants us not only to have the convicting power and the continuing ministry, but he wants us to have confirming evidences. Jesus wants to start bringing evidences to you of his supernatural, of his power, of his miracles, not just through you, but to you, because he wants people to be convinced that he is supernatural. And wherever you go, whether it's in the office place or at workplace or in the park and recreational places or at home, wherever you go, there should be such a love and a relationship with Jesus that wherever you go, there are always convincing evidences of the manifestational power of Jesus. You shouldn't have to call the pastor when somebody wants to get saved and say, Pastor, get over here quick. These people want to get... No, no, no. Jesus, may we be the uh, reservoir and the avenue of the miraculous. Let us no longer envy other people that have the miraculous touch. Because you have it. Yeah, but Brother John, what if I have a sickness in my body? I don't know what you have in your body, but I know who you have in your body. And I know he has a continuous supernatural ability. And I believe that many of us would get healed of our own dilemmas if we'd start laying hands on others instead of worrying so much about ours. There's a principle in the Bible says whatever you give, he'll give it back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. You need healing? Then pray for the sick. You need deliverance? Then let God use you to bring deliverance to people. You need finances? Go ahead and believe God to let you with your last little bit of oil and meal give it to somebody so God can multiply it. Help us, Jesus, to live again. You know... There's all kinds of verses, and I, I gave those guys so many scriptures, and who knows if we get to it or not. When we do PowerPoint, which we're just basically doing scriptures now, but when we do PowerPoint, we have the power. I never hit the points. And they go, Brother John. I said, well, that's the point. <laughs> the power's in God, not me. <laughs> I, I think with most of us in this building right now, the only hindrance and dile- dilemma that you find in your life on a daily basis is because you need to allow God to transform you into a person that's present, future-focused, and not so present-past. Hear me carefully. Any true prophecy, any true move of the prophetic or the Spirit of God that happens is never past. You can have a word of knowledge about past. You can even have a, a other gifts about But the prophecy of God is always present, future and there's some people in here you need to let go of your past. And some of you say, well, I can't forgive that man that hurt me, abused me, left me. I can't forgive that woman. No, 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 you have to. Yeah. 
It's not even a choice. You do it by obedience to God, not because you feel good. Because one of the things that keeps you in your past is unforgiveness or bitterness or resentment. Now, let me touch this a minute. With some of you, it's not so much unforgiveness and bitterness toward others. It's the unforgiveness you have toward you. There's some people in here, you've got to forgive yourself. You've got to let Jesus heal you and cleanse you of all that. Because, see, sometimes we blame a devil quite often, but really it usually isn't the devil. It's usually us. Had a lady come up to me in a revival not long ago. Man, Now, see, I get funny when I think people have religious spirits, so forgive me. I would have been here last night, but the devil gave me a flat tire. I said, what? Really? She said, yes. I said, can I see it? So after the service, I went out and actually looked in her trunk. And I turned the tire and I said, oh, sister, I got good news for you. She said, what, Brother John? I said, that wasn't the devil. It was a nail. (laughs) It's a nail. Yeah, but didn't the devil put it there? I said, no. The roofers drove by and carelessly dropped it off a truck. Some people have to have a devil to blame for everything. We don't need a devil. I don't even want to blame him for I don't even want him around where I can blame him. Brother John, we were having a good service, but the devil got into the sound booth. No, that ain't the devil. Those are angels. Hey, look up here above that computer there. See, that's not a devil. That's an angel of God back there. We don't, you know what? If you learn how to proclaim and acclaim who Jesus is, you'll never have to blame what somebody did. If you understand how to proclaim and acclaim Jesus for who he is, you'll never ever have any need to blame anybody. Not a doctor, not a pastor, not a husband, not a wife. Because, see, when you have Jesus, you don't need any blame. Because he's going to take care of it. I guess another way to say it would be this. When you learn how to know the heart of God, and that's through relationship and communion, you'll never mistrust the hands of God. Because to be honest with you, some of you have prayed and formulated and and put together some prayers because people taught you that you can form prayers and make God do something. And sometimes we think, well, God, you didn't answer, so you must not love me. And it's not right for us to box God in like that. But when you understand the heart of God, see, he made known his ways unto Moses, but he only showed the children of Israel his actions. And some of y'all saying, if I could get some more miracles, if God would just heal this, if God would just get that money in here, I'd really believe. And, and that grieves God. In fact, one time he said to Moses in Numbers 14, I think it is, he said, Moses, how many more miracles do I have to do for my own people to believe in me? He said, I give them miracle after miracle. You can hear the heart of God just crushed. How many more do you need? before you really believe that God is sovereign and you can trust Him. May we be a people that learn how to live. When God took the children of Israel out of Egypt, He showed us so many patterns, so many ways that He wants to deal with us today in our life. He's a faithful God. 
He wants to complete the work that's in you. Being confident of this very thing that once he had begun a good work in me, he will perform it and complete it to perfection even until the day of Jesus Christ. Not you perfect it, not you perform it. Some of you get saved and you get a presence of God in you and you start trying to... Re- See, listen, Christianity is not about behavior modification. Well, I don't cuss as much. Well, big a deal. Well, I don't fornicate near as much. Well, big a big a deal. Being a Christian isn't about do's and don'ts. It's not about uh, behavior modification. It's about heart transformation. Jesus, you have transformed my life. I'm no longer that person. If any man or woman be in Christ, they are new creations. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. The Bible says in Jude 24 that God is able to keep us from falling. See, most of y'all think God's able to forgive you after you fall 40 times a week. No, God's power in you is able to keep you from falling. And He's also able to present you before His presence and glory without fault. Do you know that when we get up there, brother, there will, you know, when I was a kid in Old Line Pentecost, they taught me that God would have a big screen up there and he would show everybody what I did in my life. I said, I ain't going to heaven. <laughs> I am not going to heaven. I don't want my wife to see what I did in my life. And I really believe that junk. The Bible says God erases our sins. He forgets our sins. Sometimes you go to him and say, God, I did it again. He said, did what? Come on, people. But God wants us to understand today that he has... He can, he can present us faultless. You know, uh, UPS and, and, and FedEx, and let's go with the post office too. Let's don't leave them out. They can take a perfect package. I have put a perfect package in the mail to send to my brother. And by the time the package got to him in California, it was damaged and the articles in it were damaged. But God can take a damaged package already ruined. And before we get to heaven, we've been made perfect. I think I'll go with God's shipping process. You're not going to heaven wounded and broken, and you're not going to have depression and spirits that lie to you and hassle you and haunt you when you get to heaven. They're not going with you. You ought to leave them alone now. Why even entertain them in your earthly life? Let them alone. I don't think demons bother us. I think we bother them. Somebody asked me, can a Christian have demons? I said, man, what a question. I said, number one, when Jesus lives in me, there ain't a dumb demon in the world that wants to live in me with Jesus. And I know Jesus ain't going to live with a demon. But I do know Christians or demons that have Christians. I wonder if they're going around, Satan, deliver me from this Christian. They're tormenting me. (laughs) Get this Christian out of me. Even the man who had 6,000 demons in him, if you really study that, legion means 6,000. And there were 6,000 in this man. Now listen to me. He wasn't saved. He wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit like you are. And he was possessed with them. But even when he wanted to go see Jesus at the edge of the cemetery, because he dwelt with them, see, you got to understand something. That's why I'm talking to you about not entertaining yourself with world spirits, because if you're not careful, you'll invite demons into your house. And then wonder why you're going through all this junk. It's because you're entertaining yourself with satanic stuff. But this man, when he heard Jesus was going to be at the edge of the road, he said, I'm going to see him. Now listen to me. If demons had so much power and there were 6,000 in him, why did they not stop him? 
Hear me, when you really want to see Jesus, when you really want to touch Jesus, when you really want an encounter with Jesus, quit blaming demons because they cannot stop you because Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And so when, uh, when Jesus shows us today in the next few minutes we have about His work in us. See, always remember this about God. Listen to this. Your Father. As a Christian, He always works with you in a three-dimensional way. And we learn it even from the Israelites. In Exodus it says, God brought them up out of Egypt. I want some of you to quit thinking you just made an adjustment and you're kind of walking out of darkness and you're kind of walking toward the light and in the light. No, no, no. When you get saved by Jesus Christ, it's an instant translation. It's an instant delivery from darkness into light. For He has translated me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Translate means instantly, quickly, right now. If you ever believe that, you'll quit entertaining and living like you're still back there. So see, he took them out of Egypt and God has taken every one of you who have professed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he has taken you up out of your Egypt, your past, the mess where the taskmasters and the wicked pharaohs have been abusing, molesting and, and, and tormenting your life. You're out of there. You don't need, quit, quit talking about the devil and what he does. Get into your life that God has for you now. He not only took them out of Egypt, but the Bible also shows us that he took Egypt out of them. It took him 40-something years, almost 80 years with some of them, before he got Egypt out of them. With many of you, the reason you have problems and dilemmas and confusion, it isn't that God didn't do his work of deliverance. It's that you've got to let him complete the work because he wants to continually see you get redeemed, but now he's saving you. And some people don't understand that. You think you got saved. No, we did get saved, but we were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You can never be more redeemed than you are the first time you received Jesus. You're totally redeemed. But you are consistently being saved, the saving of your soul, the saving of your emotions, the saving of your mind. That's why the Holy Spirit, the Bible says in James 4, verse 5, it says, For the Holy Spirit who dwells in you jealously yearns to have you. See, He's redeemed your spirit. You're going to heaven, but it grieves Holy Spirit when you won't give Him your emotions. You won't give Him that place where that person hurt you. You won't give Him that place where that person cheated you. You won't give Him that place where you failed in sin and you still think God's mad at you. Holy Spirit's saying, look, you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Let me have your emotions. Let me have your mind. Let me have your body. And so God, help us realize that you never just take us out of Egypt. But your desire is to get everything of Egypt out of us. All the debris, all the aftermath, all the crud, all the garbage. It's sad to see Christians having garbage uh, washing up on the shorelines of their life that they had in Egypt. God, may you stop that today. In fact, I'm going to say something. I believe today there's Christians in this building that are going to get through what you've been going through. This is your season to get through it. Get it done. Get on the other side of the victory where you belong. In Jesus' name. Not because you earned it, because Jesus earned it for you. Not only did he take them up out of Egypt and take Egypt out of them, but listen to this. He always will take you in to the promise. 
Deuteronomy 6, 23, I think it is, says, He did not bring us out this far to take us back again. Some of y'all think God gets frustrated, tired of you, weirdo. Okay, okay then, go back. No, 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 you can't get God to let you go back. If you go back, you're going back in rebellion. But God's not going to send you. Brother, when God saves us, He intends to get us into the full promises of God. Some of y'all been looking at the promises. It's time to get in them and let them in you. You got to understand for God to bring you to a point where you're going to live again. I mean, really live again. Listen to me carefully. You got to allow the Holy Spirit. And you mentioned it, and it was mentioned in prophecy and in the songs. You got to allow the Holy Spirit to break the defeat mentality you've lived in all your life. Many Christians saved, going to heaven, still live as defeatists. You know, I had uh, surgery, cataract surgery, a couple years ago, so now I drive Chevrolet's instead of cataract. No, <laughs> I had cataract surgery. And uh, my vision is 2020. In fact, the night that we got home after the second eye, uh, we watched 2020 just for me to celebrate. <laughs> I'm serious. I said, hon, let's watch 2020. <laughs> but you know, there are times, Sharon, who's getting saved today, by the way, I just sense it. No, <laughs> there are times where you can have perfect vision and still not have focus. You ever get water in your eyes? You ever get smoke in your eyes? Well, your vision is still 2020 as far as who you are, but you can't see 2020. And I think God's here today to clear the smoke out of some of your eyes. He's here to wash the debris and the sand and the dust particles of the world that got into you somehow through a trauma, a tragedy, or just worldliness. And God's here to cleanse your eyes and wash you with the salve of the Holy Ghost so you can see perfectly today. I don't want to just see up there on the other side of glory, whatever they sing about getting out of here and getting up there. God, we need to see you here. you got to let God break that defeat mentality. You can't be, uh, live by your mortality. Comp- well, I'm just the woman. <laughs> if you're saved, you're not just a woman. You're a supernaturally ordained agent of the Most High God. You're not just a man. we got to let God show us this. Gideon says, well, God, I, my family's the weakest of the clans and, and I'm the least of my family. And God says, stop it. Stop putting yourself down. That's not hum- humbleness. That's humility. See, there's a difference. I love what the other sister said. There's a difference in being humble and self-humiliation. God never gets a thrill out of you being humiliated by anybody or you humiliating yourself. Humbleness isn't me seeing how bad I am. Humbleness is me getting out of the way and seeing how great God is. If you want to be humble, believe God for supernatural miracles. That's humbleness. Moses said, but, 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 but God. I, 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 I stuttered and God said, oh, really? <laughs> Jeremiah said his complex was, well, God, I'm just a young person. They're not going to listen to me. Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both legs, wasn't even his fault. His nanny crippled him because she ran in fear. Some of you are crippled today, and God's going to heal that. It wasn't because you were such a sinner. It might be that somebody else failed God, and you got the blunt end of it. Quit blaming yourself for everything. And David's wanting to reward him and give him the riches of his grandfather, Saul. And Mephibosheth says, I'm just a dead, crippled dog. I want some of you to stop 
berating yourself. It's not humbleness to God. You, you, I, I try to compliment people in churches, you know, musicians and worship leaders and, and, and different people. Oh, Brother John, it's not me. I said, it is you. No, it's God. God isn't down here doing it. He's doing it through us. It is you. If you'd ever get, get, get out of the way and quit being so falsely humble, you'd be surprised at how much God uses you. See, listen to me. I'm trying to wind this thing up, and it's like a Big Ben clock. It takes a little longer. <laughs> How many of you give me five more minutes? Okay, two o'clock. We're okay, Pastor. <laughs> Please hear this in the Spirit and not in your pocketbook only. But if you're ever going to live fully with the abundance of life, You've got to understand there's new priorities in divine order for your life. And the first thing God said, listen, you'd think, well, with a God like that, who needs enemies? The first thing God said to them, now that you're out of Egypt, you need to give me the first fruit of your lives. Don't make a theology out of tithing or not. Well, tithing's Old Testament. Yes, it is. Tithing's not in the New. Yes, it is. But I'm not talking about just tithing. I'm speaking about giving God the first fruits. That includes your money. Some of y'all, you keep asking for miracles, and you you, you give God little token offerings now and then when you have a a, a surplus. We shouldn't even be in the ministry if we don't believe in tithing. In fact, we don't just tithe. We tithe, give offerings. We give offerings to every church we go to, which is about 70 churches a year or more. And we give to special missions. And we tithe to our church. I'm only saying that because I wouldn't want to live just tithing. But hear this. The spirit of this thing isn't about whether you give your amount of money. Listen to this. God says, the first thing I want you to do is give me the first fruit of your lives, including your animals and your children. And why? Because God says, that's how I prove to you that Pharaoh is no longer your God. See, God struck the firstborn, the tithe of every child. And he says, from now on, you'll know I'm God. And see, when you give to God extra, or even your 10%, if that's what you can give, if you give to God what He's given to you, listen, here's two things that happen. It's a statement of disownership. You're actually saying to the gods of the world, to your old pharaohs, to your old taskmasters, you do not own me anymore. I am free from you. I will pay you nothing. Why do you think Jesus drove the thieves out of the temple? He wasn't mad because they had tapes and books and CDs in the forehead. That's not what made him mad. He was mad because they were making people pay them in order to worship God. Don't let the enemy make you pay to worship God. Satan, I can worship God today, and I'm not afraid of going home, and you're going to come jump on my back. I've had Christians say, well, Brother John, you know, I don't want to be that bold because the devil will come. No, no, no. We've got to believe that there's a God that keeps us from being harassed by the devil. So when you give to God, even if it hurts you at this point, you're actually saying, Satan, taskmaster, Pharaoh of my old life, you have no ownership. Get your hands off of me and my house. But you're also making a statement of new ownership. You're saying, oh, Lord God, through Jesus Christ, I belong to you. I've been bought with a price. I gladly give you the first fruit of my life, including my money. My heart, my talent, my times. You need to do this. 
Not because God needs money. He doesn't need money. You need to give it to Him. Don't be ashamed. Don't go into condemnation with me right now. Well, I've really failed. No, no, no. God is a God of new beginnings. Start now. Well, my husband won't let me. Well, just tithe on the sly. No, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Pray that God will change that wicked man's mind. <laughs> don't be tithing on the sly. I don't know if God can bless that or not. Somebody asked me the other day, could you, could you take money from a guy that won the lottery? I said, heck yeah, I can. He might have won it with bad means, but once it touches my hand, it becomes holy. <laughs> And then you have to let God, hear me, spiritually and emotionally and mentally, disconnect you totally, sever you from your past. Moses, when they faced that Red Sea, they had no place to go. It wasn't opening. And Pharaoh changed his mind. And was coming after them, going to kill most of them, and then use the rest of them for slavery and abuse and molestation, whatever they did. And they're there, and they're desperate. And, oh, God, you let us out here to just get killed. And Moses, God spoke to him and says, I want to deliver them. I like Charlton Heston as a Moses. He was one of the best. So this, he, he raises his staff. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. See, with me, it's a half Catherine Hepburn and Charleston. It's like, Rooster Cogburn. <laughs> and God said to Moses, listen, this is so unique. God said to Moses, hey, what are you talking for? See, there comes a time you've got all those confessions and professions and scriptures, and you're just blurting them out. And God said, there comes a time where I don't want you to talk, I want you to do it. He said, Moses, hold the rod out for, for God's sake. <laughs> and when Moses held that rod out, he said to the people, watch this. So you've got to let God sever you. Don't, don't think that God wants to heal you today and let sicknesses come back to you next week because you failed him somehow. Or he'll let demons come and harass you and hassle you and, and talk to you. No, 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 you, you're not serving the right God. God said, Moses, tell him this. This Pharaoh that they have seen for 450 to 500 years, after today, they will see him no more. Watch this. No more again. Watch this. Forever. You need to know that God is able to keep you delivered, keep you healed, keep you provided for. He, is, he doesn't get a kick out of, out of you falling back into something or the devil coming back to harass you again. God is saying to some people here today, I'm saying to you, the enemy cannot hassle you no more again forever. He's done. Not because you're so tough, but because God is God. You see, if you're going to live in this new life, there, there's mystery to some of it. I just hear God saying to tell you that there'll be times where you'll be surprised at the way that God leads you. This church is going to be surprised even in the season to come at the direction and the way that God's leading you as far as ministry. And it's not to confuse you, but it's to cause you to be in a place where you totally trust Him. For everything supernatural. Mm -hmm. 
Sis, sometimes God loves us so much, He might lead us the long way around. The children of Israel, they come out of all that harassment and hassle for 500 years. And they could have gone straight across the wilderness and gotten into the Canaan land within a few days. And because God loved them, sometimes I pray, God, don't love me so much. (laughs) But because God loved them so much, he says, I'm going to take them the long way around. Some of y'all been praying for healing in your children's bodies or in your husband or your wife or you've been praying for deliverance or something. And sometimes if you don't get it, because see, in our modern charismatic world, they teach you you're supposed to get it right away. And if you don't, something's either wrong with you or wrong with God. Sometimes, sometimes God loves you so much that he would rather you not go through the land of the Philistines. Because the Philistines, they were the most wicked, horrendous, and violent of all the people in the, in the promised land. And God didn't want his children to roll in the dirt again. Because it had already been dirty all those years. Please trust God that if something happened, hasn't happened to miraculously, it isn't God rejecting you. It's God redirecting you. Because he knows what's best, brother. He knows what will have the most eternal and everlasting effect for you and for his kingdom. It ain't about getting instant satisfaction and gratification anymore. God, God doesn't have too many children left that will be willing to stay in the fire until the fourth man shows up. So many Christians are taught you don't have to have a fire. Get out of it, claim it, name it, confess it, mess it. And God says, do I have anybody left that are willing for me to go ahead and go through a fire and wait on me to show up so that I can convince the people that hate you, the people that mock you, the people that don't even believe in you and they know you're in this fire. I want to show them my presence. God, may we not be in such a hurry. May we not think that you've cowered it out of a deal. Or that we become unworthy somehow. Sometimes even in ministry, as you go forward in ministry, and these are stepping stones for you. I don't know how long you'll be in this capacity, but the Lord shows me that there's going to be something that He leads you and your family into that's going to be so awesome and beyond your expectations. But don't get in a rush. Be patient. I'd rather God do everything in me He needs to so that when I get out there, I won't mess up. The queen hid Josiah or Joash. She hid him in the king's chamber for six years because he was just a kid. Had he gone into the kingdom and became king after his dad was murdered, he'd have messed the whole system up. But God knows that sometimes you have to be hidden for a season. It isn't a God that's ashamed of us, trying to put us away, but there's a reason God hides us for a season because He's investing His personal glory and revelation of who He is in us to such a degree that when He does take the cover off, we will be like Jesus. Forgive us, God, that we have been frustrated with you. Let us know your heart so that we'll never blame your hands. 
you got to understand that. Sometimes he'll lead you the long way around because he loves you so much and he's got something so much better for you. Now watch this. I've got two more points and we're going to get done. Sometimes God allows the enemy to pursue you even after you're delivered. God stirred and provoked Pharaoh's heart. And he said, go after them. See, here's the thing about going the long way around. If you trust God, what it does, it confuses the enemy. Pharaoh, in his cockiness, said, whoa, they're all confused. We will go and get them. (laughs) Trust God that he's setting your enemies up, not you. And he provoked Pharaoh. He said, go get them, boy. Sometimes you may feel like, God Almighty, I thought I was delivered that this enemy's on my back again. I can tell you, he may be near your back, but he'll never get on you and he'll never get in you again. You belong to God. So Pharaoh chases him. And boy, when the waters parted for the Israelites, he said, Ha, I've got that anointing. And he, his armies, I don't know if Pharaoh went with him, but all of his armies did. Followed him right in there. What happened? While the Israelites were dreaming, their enemies were drowning. God would love to give you that kind of peace, guys. You should be so involved and enveloped in the love of Jesus that you can go to bed at night and just dream. And while you're dreaming good dreams, the enemy is fighting. God is fighting your enemies for you, sis. You will see in your life, in your young life, God is going to come and be your hero and he's about to demolish and destroy all the enemies that's been coming against your mind and your emotions and trying to wreck you and ruin you and take you down and say you don't have a life. God Almighty, stop it right now. When the Israelites woke up, All they saw were a bunch of dead horses and dead men floating in the river, in the sea. See, you don't write books about that. God wants to do some sovereign things in this church and through this church that nobody's going to write a book about it because it's all God. I want those kind of miracles. And then always remember this, you can expect God to lead you the long way around, you can expect the enemy to chase you sometimes, but you can also always expect, brother, a miraculous, incredible, and permanent deliverance. I will not serve God if he keeps letting the same demons, same spirits, same entities, same religious people coming after me, harassing me. I won't serve him if that's what it's about. But that's not what it's about. I should be so free. Watch this. I should be so free and delivered and healed in here. That even when I go through a new trial, hear me, when I go through a new trial, I won't say, oh, God must be teaching me another lesson. He must not be satisfied with me yet. I believe God has ordained us to go through trials and not blame anybody, not blame a devil, not blame ourselves, not blame God, but go through those trials to turn them into triumph so other people will know how great He is. Heal us from this Cheap insecurity we hold. I have one more scripture. 
and ask my wife if she'll go minister on the keyboard. She plays and prays. Would you slide that out of the way, Pastor? Thank you. Hey, way back there. Duck Dynasty, man. You're a blessing. Here's the word of God capsulating everything. Brother John, why didn't you just get to it in the first place? Ezekiel 20, verse 37, 38 says this. And it's the Lord, and he was speaking to those people, but now he's speaking to us in the New Testament. Any promise that was given to the Old Testament Testament people that showed the power and grace of God is multiplied to us. You know that, don't you? For I today will cause you to walk under my rod, not a rod, not Moses' rod. I'm going to cause you to walk under my rod, and I'm going to reinstate and reinforce the bond of my covenant with you. And you will walk across to your promises. And none of the rebels or thieves that's been in your life harassing you, hassling you, haunting you, trying to hurt you, none of them can come under this rod with you today. Some of you that have problems with habits, physical habits, like maybe alcohol or drugs or cigarettes or or pornography, God says, if you'll believe this today and you walk under the rod of my word, my authority, I will cause those rebels to drop off of you before you get completely under this rod. If you've had uh, uh, sickness after sickness after sickness, people think you're a hypochondriac I don't know if you are or not it doesn't matter but God says sicknesses and diseases have to stop on this side of the rod if your family's all messed up and dysfunctional and everybody's going crazy and they're more hellions than they are uh, heavenend (laughs) new word God says, if you as a parent or grandparent or grandma or grandpa will walk under the rod of my authority, I will bring order, divine order into your chaotic family. I will bring some of them back from the borders of the wickedness and cause them to come back to the borders of the righteous. You will no longer have to blame yourselves as a mom or dad that you didn't teach them right or you messed up or your sin messed them up. God wants to put a stop to that because God's grace over them is greater than your mess up in front of them. Some of you parents are going to see God deliver your children soon. If you walk under this rod of God, I will cause you to love yourself again and quit despising yourself and cheap-shotting yourself. Quit eliminating yourself from my glory. I won't let your weaker carnal self come over there with you. Brother John, you must really trust this God. I do because this is a corporate healing today. We don't have time to give everybody words today. If you listen, there was like 20 prophecies in what we gave. But brother, I believe today when you and your bride walk under the rod of God, I'm just going to say, I'm going to ask pastor on this side and brother, um, 
Marlin, yeah, my favorite baseball team other than the Braves. Uh, I'm going to ask Brother Marlin, you use my Bible. You may want to zip it up. Yeah, not you. Zip up the Bible. <laughs> zip it up. Um, does anybody have a Bible pastor can hold over here a minute? Otherwise, we'll do electronic. <laughs> Here's one. All I'm going to ask, we're not going to have a 30-minute prayer meeting, guys. Hear me. I'm hungry, too. But I don't want to cheat God. I'm going to ask Marlon to stand right there by brother. And pastor, you stand right where you are. And even some of you that are on this side, just kind of go back three rows and come up. Because I want them to hold up the word of God. And and they might have to change hands. Because Moses needed help at times holding the rod up too, didn't he? But as they hold the rod up, I'm going to ask every one of you that want to believe. Pastor John, I believe when I walk under the rod of God today that many of the entities and voices and presence of the enemy and circumstances, maybe some of you just need some of your circumstances to change. Yeah, he's walking under. Maybe you need diagnosis to be changed. You know, some of y'all settle too quickly what a doctor or a psychiatrist tell you. I believe in them, but you know what? God's greater than that. I'm going to ask everybody that will this morning to come and walk under the rod and then get way over and stay up here and we're going to pray. Just walk under the rod of God. And as you do, realize something. God is saying to you, not me, you are walking into the covenant of my peace. The enemy, the rebels, the thieves will not be able to follow you. They're not going to be able to harass you, hassle you, and haunt you. Yeah, I love it. Yes, God. Come on. It, it sounds so simple and so easy. But I want to tell you something. I believe there's a God that, uh, that honors your obedience. And just kind of, uh, uh, yeah, kind of go halfway back and stay, stay up in this area if you want. I want to pray over us. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you for these men and these women, young men and young women. Oh, God, we thank you that this is a day, this is a day, God, where the enemy will not follow us. He doesn't need to follow you anymore. He doesn't have a voice to come and uh, accuse you falsely. He can't even accuse you anymore. Listen, some of y'all don't understand that scripture when the Bible says that the devil uh, stood before God and accused, uh, accused Job. The devil's not in heaven anymore. He, he is not an accuser of the brethren today. That's Old Testament. The devil can't even get near heaven, brother. There's no way he can go up to heaven and accuse you of anything before God. He don't even want to get near heaven. God, I want to thank you. We stand here not sinless, but we stand here guiltless. People, you're guiltless before God. You still need to ask God to forgive you of sins, but as far as your guilt, Jesus has paid it. Raise that rod a little bit. A tall one's coming. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's the guy that made me sound better than I do. Hallelujah. Come on. We're going to pray in just a minute. If some of y'all want to come this way after you go into the rod, that's fine. Fill up this gap over here too. That way you won't get closet phobia. Oh, holy God. I love it. I love it. Come on, brother. God bless this man. God bless this man. Oh, let the past be past and let the future become now. You know, people, listen. Think about it with me. The lady who had the issue of blood, why was she so weak? Why was she almost dying? Because it was issues. And some of y'all won't let go of the issues. Whether it's your guilt or their guilt, you need to let go of it. But what she did, listen, what she did, she touched Jesus' garment. And what she did, brother, she brought his virtue into her present life.
And some of y'all need to know something. You, get, you have the privilege today of touching Jesus and bringing who He is into who you are and it's going to change who you are and you're going to become like Him. He wants to heal you of every bloody issue that's ever been in your life and set you free so that you won't be anemic anymore and won't be weak and won't have to spend thousands of dollars on physicians that can't really help you. It's our day, brother. Honest to God, God isn't even doing this because some of you really deserved it. God's doing it because He deserves to have a people that aren't mixed up, that aren't polluted, that aren't diluted with philosophies and humanism, and it weakens their ability for the supernatural. God, you're here to heal us of everything that's ever been in our life that ever marked us as somebody less than what you've marked us for. Father, I want to thank you for this church family. I've never sensed any more than I have today, Pastor, a church that is so ready for God to move the whole thing forward. I so sense these people's hearts. They are not only with you, they're with God. Now, I believe all of you want God to change you and to transform you. We don't need church members anymore, we need ministers. If you ever learn that you're not just a Christian coming to church, you're an ordained, supernaturally empowered agent of the Most High God. But what about me? I have a quiet personality. I have a shy person. No, no, no. It ain't about your personality. I think there's some men in here. You're like Clark Kent. Mild-mannered, meek. But some of y'all about ready to come out of the phone booth. I'm serious. There's some men in here about to become supernatural in power. You know what? You don't have to be a, a screamer. Listen, let me share this one thing with you, and then we're going to pray, and then it's over for me. Helen and I ministered at an all-deaf-mute church years ago in Macon, Georgia. 150 people there, and only two of them could even speak or hear. They had musicians. You should have heard some of that music. Rhythm? Ain't they? No rhythm. <laughs> But man, were they praising God. Amazing grace sounded unamazing. <laughs> but those people loved God and they were just doing it. And then all of a sudden in the service, the pastor was interpreting for me because I don't know fingers. All of a sudden in the middle of the service after a worship song, this lady stands up and she goes, I'm going, what's she doing? He says, she's giving a message in fingers. I said, a message in what? I thought it was tongues. She said, that's their tongues. And then all of a sudden, about a minute later, this guy stands up weeping like a baby. And he's giving the interpretation. People are crying. And then we come to the altar and we're praying over people. And all of a sudden, I noticed four or five of those uh, uh, people that couldn't speak. I don't know what to call them now. Everybody's so worried about it. But death mutes. And and they were praying over this guy. And I noticed a couple of ladies going, pow, pow, shoom, pow, pow, shoom. And it was in the name of Jesus. They were delivering a guy from demons. The demons never heard the voice. All they saw was Jesus. You don't, you don't have to be a screamer to be powerful. Like that guy looks like mild-mannered, meek, quiet Clark Kent. Get ready. Woo. Superman's coming. Thank you, Father. 
your spirit, not by might, Sister Pastor said, not by might, not by power, but by your spirit, saith the Lord, all of these mountains shall be removed. And by your spirit, we're all made whole. We're all made uh, complete. We're all being perfected. And we thank you that we will continually stay under the rod of your authority and your word. Stay in the land of Goshen that you have anointed for us. And we will have none of these diseases. We'll have none of the plagues. And we will walk in the wholeness of God. Not so we can be so good, but so Jesus can be seen. And others will want this God we serve. Do this work in this church and let these people learn how to live again. In Jesus' name I pray. Let's give God a praise offering. I love the the Pentecostal anointing that's on him. Isn't it it beautiful? It is awesome. Thank you, John. Like you said, I think he gave 20 or 30 or 40 prophetic words. Uh, during your message, it's really, really the Lord. It's very timely for all of us. Would you say amen? I was going to ask uh, the ushers if you could just stand at the door with the offering plate. If you'd like to make an offering, uh, you can make it to River Life, and we'll give it all to John. Give him a nice blessing. Amen. And so God bless you. I pray, pray God will do more above and beyond what we're asking or thinking today in your life. Amen.